Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan presents the Honorable Judge Dan Jacobs. By the way, um, we have a little... I don't know how I want to frame this, because Dante Gomez is still here. Sydney Cora is behind the glass. Now she's training, and I'm going to screw this up, because I thought... You know, you, you, I thought you had said your name was Mickey, but it's actually Mac. How do you say your name? My name's Miko. Miko. I, I, I'm having a brain. I just can't get that burned in my brain. I thought when you, I first met you, your name was Mickey. It's Miko. Okay. So on the text line, we have a little controversy, board up controversy here. Because early in the show, somebody texted in and says, wow. The producer is actually doing a really good job, a much better job than normal today on the music. And so I th- I don't know, was that a, a, a veiled shot at you, Dante? Somebody said, uh, um, wow, the producer is doing a much better job than normal on the music today. So a little controversy. I don't know. Dante's taking his hits. And by the way, I saw on the Matt Smith show, Matt and uh, Kyle Reese show, that somebody said, Dante, you're a drifter. As well, so I'm like, come on, man, Dante, take him some heat. He's our villain. We love him though. He's our, he's a villain, but he's our villain uh, there. So, um, can anyway, you explain just, that for me? What does that mean? Like, I'm a drifter. Oh, you're in Arizona. You went to Arizona State. Then you went to you know went to ASU, and then you went to AU, and now you are in Arizona. Now you're here. Oh, oh, I just I moved. Yeah, you move around a lot. That's what a drifter does. I, I've only moved. I've lived in Arizona my whole life until. Did two you years go to ago. AU? U, U of A. U of A? Um, I did, but that's in Tucson, Arizona. And then did you go to ASU? I did. So that would be unusual, Also right? Tempe, Arizona. Yeah. Um, there's more most, people that do it than you think. Most people don't go to, you know, usually those most schools are like rival. No. Um, but like, no, like here, you know, you wouldn't go to CU and CSU unless you're Marcus Houston, for example. Like it's very rare to, you know, those they're rivals. No, I know, but it, it would be like if you're from Fort Collins and you went to CU and then you went to uh, CSU after that. Yeah, it just doesn't happen very often. It just doesn't happen. It's like sacrilege. that happens more than you think. I don't think it happens very often, to be honest with you. There was a famous running back here. Uh, yeah, real quick, real quick. Yeah. I just was informed. Both of them went to three different colleges as well. Did you guys go to CU and CSU? I did not know. Okay. But I did go to CCD first. Well, that's different. That's like a CCD is, go ahead, say what it is. It's a community college. Community college, right. When you go to community college, you are nece- you're going to if you, if you want to get your bachelor's, you're going to transfer. That's not the same as switching from rival schools, drifting from school to school. Well, that explain school. why they went to three schools each, though. Well, I went to I I also I went, went to, to multiple schools, schools too. Yeah. I'm not a drifter. Yeah, I don't I, I don't think I am either. I don't know what that. I still don't really know what it means. Well, I, you have to ask the texter. I that's I'm, your reputation. I'm, yeah. I I don't know. I'm I don't know. I feel like you move once in your life and. That doesn't really make you a drifter. Well, you've moved more than once because you went to two rival schools. Yeah, but moving for college doesn't count. And did you go to community college too? I did go for a year as well. So, so there you go. You're, you're making all the um, yeah three different schools and zero zero degrees. Sure. <laughs> there you go. There but you go. I still don't think that makes you a drifter by moving from one state to another state one time. No, I think one time. No, I think that's a little uh, probably a little harsh. But depends on where you go from here, I guess. Are you a lifer now? You're here? You're, you're putting down roots? I would like to be. In Colorado? See what happens, but I, I wouldn't mind if Denver was my forever uh, spot. Well, there you go. Surprise, Jacobs even hears the music playing, considering he hates music. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, you know, I don't know that I hate music. 
I don't prefer most music. See, Nate Jackson was really busting my chops on that. He's like, no, Dan, I've heard, you've told me you hate music. I just don't prefer mo- I do hate a lot of music. It just puts me in a bad mood. There's a lot of bad music out there, man. A lot of wars started over bad music in this world. All right, so this Jeff Legwald, it was actually, so I was listening to Denver Sports Tonight, and um, one of our fan staff members, Marcello Romano, was filling in with Will Peterson, I think it was Friday night, and I was all over it with him, with Marcello on this. Um, call him BS. This Jeff Legwald article came out, and this is, of course, nothing personally against Jeff Legwald. He's he's reporting what he was told, right? But everybody buys a hook, line, and sinker, including everybody on the fan staff here. Oh, well, I guess that has nothing to do with Sean Payton and the Broncos. They had no agenda. It was just a big, bad fire marshal that there was a tweet that some, you know, buzzkill fan, which, by the way, yes, yeah, shame on whoever this guy was. You know, you're kind of a jerk. You know, trying to bust the Broncos for allowing too many fans in. Like, okay. Um, But am I buying for a minute that there were no workable solutions that they had to go to this system where we're not going to lock out fans and media to satisfy the fire code? I mean, it is, it's silly. It just really is. Um, The notion that there were no, it was just either, Oh, well, we looked at it, and your capacity is 3,200, so you just got to be in compliance. That's it. That was that was the end of the conversation. There's no workarounds. There's no solutions. There's no variants you can file for. There's no alternative plans you can file. There's no, um, hey, if we open this up. By the way, the idea that in the event of an emergency, that an area that is largely open space, it's not like they're going to be trapped inside of a building. Right, we're talking about fans sitting on an open area on a hillside. That you know is some 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 mortal danger. That okay, because you know what? Let's let's just pretend here, okay? And they said this in the article, like, well, an evacuation plan shouldn't be through the playing field. But the way it is now, yes, they have some man-made barriers that you have to go through. To get to the field, which, you know, the field, the, 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 the hill, the berm, so to speak, which one I've talked about this before, is kind of an embarrassment. It's already kind of a massive middle finger insult to the fans that you couldn't come up with a better after what? What have they been back? You know, training camp's been at Dove Valley for, I'm guessing, 20 years. Just my guess, right? Maybe a little bit less. They moved from Greeley to there maybe 15, 15 20 years ago. The fact that they haven't come with a more workable situation to accommodate their fans is, quite frankly, a joke. With some real seating, some real shade, some some places that's actually legitimately safer for their fans, not only from a comfort level, but, you know, depending on your level of health, it can be kind of dangerous for you to be going to training camp from a heat stroke uh, heat stroke perspective, from navigating up and down that hill perspective, depending on your balance issues, which a lot of us have, right? A lot of people just have in life, right? Like, um, it's, it's a little bit dangerous. And quite frankly, it's an absurd embarrassment, the setup they have out there to begin with. And But it's open space. So if they're, I don't know, what are they saying? Like, like a fire or what? Like, 
Like, people wouldn't be able to escape. Like, what do they need to escape to? Like, all they're going to do is, is escape into a open parking lot. So if there was a legitimate uh, emergency situation, all they would have to do is find another evacuation route, which could include going, I mean, it's hard for me to articulate because you really have to be able to see, like, if you haven't been out there, it's like if you know, you know. Like, there there are all sorts of things they could do. They could simply rearrange or build new, more flexible barriers, more gates that would allow for a more easy evacuation, or they could move back the barriers. Like, there are all sorts of workable fixes to this situation, but they simply came up with is, let's make it harder on our fans. Let's make it more cumbersome. Let's not make it easier on our fans. Let's make it harder for them to come out here and experience our product. That's what we're going to do. We're not going to come up with a solution that makes it easier. We're going to make it harder. We're going to be more restrictive. That's what, that, that, that's what they come up with. And the reason it bothers me has nothing to do with the media part, right? We'll, we'll talk about the media part later because I don't even really want to go into how he's also using their, their – it looks like they're going to use this to screw over the media, which again is a conduit to the fans. The reason this bothers me is because one of the things that I like to do when I do go out and cover the team during training camp is I like to observe the fan experience. And you know what? It's actually quite cool. And I don't know if the Broncos care about it, right? But it's not the best in the world. Like, they could do a better job at it. The Broncos could, right? But you know what? For me, it's cool because most Broncos fans won't have the experience this next season or any season to go out and spend a 1000 or $2,000 to take in a Broncos game with their family. It's just they've been priced out of the market. They can watch the games on TV, and that's about it. But one of the nice, charming things about being a Broncos fan was, has been is that you can go to training camp and you don't have to pay for a ticket. And you can go and watch them and hopefully you can have some access, although they've have, now you have less and less access to the, fan, to the players. Right? That was one of the redeeming, is one of the redeeming things about Russell Wilson. He does spend time with the fans, right? But... It's cool as I'm walking through and going to where I need to go in years past to do my show and to broadcast and to watch practice is you get to see families. You get to see legitimate excitement on the faces of the kids and adults and fans and families and, and just fans having that experience together. And they're spending some money on memorabilia and there's some food trucks out there. And it's a nice atmosphere and environment. And instead of embracing it, apparently the new ownership and the new coach has said, here's a nice little middle finger. I got something in my pocket for you. Boop. And they pull it out and it's a middle finger. Essentially, that's what they've come up with. And it's not really cool. And that's what I wonder. Is it just like, is it like the Stan Kroenke thing? Right? Like just, you know, not to go deep into the television deal. But what, what, what Stan Kroenke has essentially said is, listen, I've made a lot of money off the TV deal. That's what's most important to me. What I like for the fans to be able to watch the abs and nuggets, my my championship teams on TV, I'd like it, but it's just not going to work right now. We'll figure it out at some point. Five or six or seven years later, we'll get around to it. And that's why we have an ownership of our teams that w just won NHL and NBA championships, and the, the owners can't even step on the court without getting booed because it's all about dollars and cents. 
And so why are we going to have ownerships? So far, it doesn't look like this. So far, it seems like that the Broncos ownerships kind of care about things. But this is the first step in the wrong direction. What I would like to see is that the Walton Penner group looks out there and says, this is kind of embarrassing that we have our fans walking down, tiptoeing down a hill where they could get injured to sit in sweltering heat to watch our team. Like, you'd think they'd want to put in better accommodations, not say, eh, we just kind of, we're going to put together a system where we're going to make it harder on our fans to come at all. Instead of, hey, let's make it easier. Let's get, we've been really bad. We've been one of the worst teams in the league for the better part of a decade. Let's make it easier on our fans. Let's generate more goodwill with our fans, more excitement with our fans, not less. Now, you, if you want to be a good business person, you can, you can simply say, we're the Denver Broncos, watch us on TV, and when we get good again, spend money on jerseys and whatever, and we're going to get our TV revenue, and we're going to get our ticket revenue because we're going to sell out, and those people that can afford to go to the stadium, they'll pay for beers and nachos and steak fries. Those guys, will, we're going to get their money no matter what. So to be honest with you, if you can't afford to go to a game, what do I care if you come and sit on our hill? Screw you. Like, you can have that theory. You can have that business practice, and I guess that's up to the Walton Penners group. But you know what? Ownership has been so disappointing since Pat Bowen has stepped away, I was hoping for something better. And to be honest with you, this article from Jeff Legwald was a big cop-out. Not from Jeff personally, but it's a big cop-out from Arapahoe County and from the Broncos. Because I'm just telling you, I know the way these things works, and if I – I'm putting on my lawyer hat here, and if I had clients that were mixed up in this, I immediately started thinking, what would I do if I had to represent, if the Broncos were my client and I was actually wanted to affect change positively in, in favor of my, my consumers? Absolutely, you could work that around, right? And what if I really wanted to go to Arapahoe County and say, you know what, this doesn't work for us. Let's, let's find something that does work. You think Arapahoe County wants to be known as the villain of Broncos fans? No. The fact is the Broncos didn't care enough to even try. Is That's what we're seeing in, in, in the article here. And I think one of the things I've heard is they've heard that in other cities they do things differently and they want to adopt best practices from other cities. And that's something I'm not against that. But you have to also understand that Denver also has some things that make it unique. And our fan base is unique in some respects. And you have to know the temperature of the room that you're in. And right now, this was a big tone-deaf thing. And to me, it's um, it has the earmarks of, man, are we just like, hey, we're going to turn our backs on our fans unless, unless we see a path Unless we're kind of like what we see with the abs and nuggets, unless we see a direct path of extracting money from a fan and putting it in our pockets, do we really care? And this city has always had a special kinship with the Broncos franchise. And gosh, I hope this new ownership group, because they're a bunch of outsiders. Outside of maybe Condoleezza Rice, you could say. I really don't hope, don't want to see that they come in and they corrupt this thing. That was something that's been really special to this city. All right, coming up next, I had a nice conversation yesterday with um, Andrew Mason, our senior Broncos writer in advance of training camp opening next week. Now, I do want to tease this because we're going to – 
Also revisit a conversation later in the show um, that we had. We're going to at least revisit the conversation. We're not going to replay the interview. We're going to revisit the conversation um, in regards to the Russell Wilson contract because tomorrow on DenverSports.com, James Maryland is dropping an article saying that it's actually – He's predicting it's going to be a great contract. It's going to be a, a stroke of genius by George Payton having given out that Russell Wilson contract. So that was just one of the topics that I visited with Andrew Mason yesterday. So we'll revisit that conversation. For those of you that missed it, um, we're going to bring back that conversation with Andrew Mason coming up next. Taking a break from laying down the law in the courtroom. To lay down the law in the sports world. Here's Judge Dan Jacobs on Denver Sports Station 1043 The Fan. All right. So, by the way, a lot of a uh, lot of you guys coming in on the text line on this conversation we're having about the Broncos. And if you aren't putting money in their pocket, are the Broncos going to care about you? Well, we're going to continue that conversation. Um, but we on the show yesterday, we talked about a couple things. One of these that we're going to talk about later in the show. Um, I'll play some clips from James Merrillat. Um, the Russell Wilson contract. And we also talked about some other fun things. You know, kind of how we do on the Dan Jacobs show. We just talk about some funny things in life um, that I always do that are kind of silly. Uh, we did that as well with Andrew Mason. But um, for those of you that weren't able to listen yesterday, I thought we had a good conversation with Andrew Mason. I'm going to bring that back for you right now. We'll bring Andrew Mason into this conversation. Uh, Andrew Mason, senior Broncos writer for DenverSports.com, joining us. Mr. Mason, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. You are perfect for this conversation because I just had a nice debate with James, who will have an article on DenverSports.com, about the Russell Wilson contract and about how it's actually not that bad but the caveat being that Russell Wilson, as long as he bounces back and becomes a top quarterback again, it's actually going to be a very nice contract and that James will be doing a victory lap saying, hey, um, that actually is very good because, you know, Joe Burrow's going to be making $75 million a year and we're only going to be paying Russell Wilson 50 55 What are your thoughts on something like that? Well, for it to be a discount, he has to be playing uh, uh, at or very near that level, right, of Joe Burrow? And, yes. um And... Basically, what we'd be talking about there to be a to be a discount and to say to where you'd feel good about it, he's got to be a top ten quarterback. Even on the bottom end of that, would probably be sufficient to where you say that. And the thing is, it's it's not like this remains static, and you know, it's not like he's only competing against those who are already top ten quarterbacks, right? I mean. Uh, the game, it's its always changing. I mean, there's a very good chance that Trevor Lawrence joins that group of top-shelf quarterbacks, right? And uh, does that push Russell Wilson further down? And then, of course, you have Caleb Williams and Drake May probably coming into the league next year, and uh, certainly hopes are high for them. The, the dynamic is, all, is, is always changing in terms of how many quarterbacks and which quarterbacks are pushing to be in that top ten. And Wilson's not getting any younger. I mean, it is... It is still the best shot. The best shot for the Broncos is Russell Wilson getting this right, Sean Payton getting him right, and uh, and going forward with that. But um, it's yeah, if for it to be a discount and to where you feel good about the contract, he's got to be at a pretty high level. Right. Well, that was my exact point, and it's not just that he has to be at a high level next year, okay, or this year, right? Three years from now. 
four years from now, he has to be playing at a top of the league, top five level. Otherwise, it's not a discount at all. How likely do you think that is based on what you've seen out of Russell Wilson? That he'll go from not just from bad to good, but from bad to three years from now, one of the best in the league. I mean, at this point, I hate saying how likely it is because we've seen so little. I mean, basically, I've had my eyes on six practices with Sean Payton, and that's it. Um, there, The thing that is in his favor is that um, there is a history of quarterbacks who had second primes as they got into their mid to late 30s. It happened for Tom Brady. It happened for Peyton Manning. It happened for Drew Brees. Um, all of these guys, they kind of they dipped a bit, and then they went back up. And you could even say for some, the second prime was better than the first prime. But the thing is, they didn't dip to the degree that Russell Wilson dipped last year. We weren't talking about these quarterbacks being among the bottom quarter of the league in various metrics, the way Russell Wilson was. And so he's got quite a hole to climb out of compared to some of these other quarterbacks who dip, but maybe dip to where you were talking about, oh, in a given year or two, they were like the 10th or 11th best quarterback, and then they found it. With Russell Wilson last year, he was legitimately across the board Bottom bottom five to seven quarterback in the league. Right. Like, I don't remember, because this is the exact conversation that we were ha- James and I were having. I don't remember those guys. Like, like Peyton Manning had an injury and then came back, and his numbers were off the charts, right? But he, he never was like, oh, well, he just fell off a map for no reason. Tom Brady started, they just started winning differently, but they were winning titles the entire time. Right. Um, now, there were a couple years there when they had Randy Moss when they said, we're going we're gonna to try and win with offense. And I think Bill Belichick soured on that. But I don't ever remember Tom Brady. Statistically, maybe they his numbers were different because they were trying to win differently. But I don't remember him as a quarterback having a decline. They were just winning differently. Like, I, I look at maybe Aaron Rodgers, who was disinterested and then got motivated because of money. Maybe that was, um, you know, motivating. But I don't remember a lot of quarterbacks having. It's interesting you said that. Second prime. Um, I guess it's fair. I just I remember a little differently. Like there were just different seasons, but it wasn't like like our, our conclusion was the same. The Russell Wilson was a, a decline that seemed to be precipitated by Mother Nature, Mother Time, so to speak. And now we're going to be asking him to go back to probably something he's never. There were a couple years there where he was over four thousand yards and forty. You know, one year he had forty touchdowns, but it just doesn't seem realistic to me. Andrew, is Sean Payton even going to want him to do that? Like, is he going to ask a Russell Wilson to to produce like Drew Brees, like five thousand yards and fifty touchdowns? Probably not right away. I mean, I th- this year it's going to be emphasis on on running the ball. This may end up looking a little bit like some of those Seattle offenses in terms of the run pass ratio. If if things go a certain way, the other thing is if you're at if you're asking Russell Wilson to do the things that he's done best, and that is he flourishes when you get beyond the play structure and things break down and he can improv. That's always been where you've seen a lot of the best of Russell Wilson. But that means you're also exposing himself to you're exposing him to additional contact, to getting hit more. And he's going to turn 35 later this year. How does he end up 
handling that, and how do you account for that going forward? Uh, can because the thing is, if you want to turn him into a Drew Brees type of quarterback, where you know just two you know quick two steps back, you know find find a guy on a slant, you know everything is designed for kind of quickness and rhythm and tempo. That's something that takes a couple of years, really. It's not something that's going to happen in an off season. And in the meantime, to to get him back on the right track, you've got to do some of the things that he's done very well over the years. You're not going to remake Russell Wilson just at, at once, but you have to go back and do the things that he's done well because otherwise, if not, he, you don't keep him around beyond this year. You eat the contracting and you and you move on. So really, I mean, he's got to kind of show some progress this year to where you can say, okay, let's look a couple of years out as we're kind of trying to remake Russell Wilson and allow him to play deep into his thirties and play out this contract and be and, and be effective. You're just gonna have to look at the, at the progress he's made to determine uh, whether at that fork in the road next March you say, all right, we're gonna guarantee his 2025 salary and keep going down the road. So talk to me about the contract. Uh, if so, let's say the assumption is you can cut him, but you have to break up eighty million dollars over two years or seventy million dollars yes. over two 80, years. Eighty-five million over two years. Yeah, because okay, so that's over forty million dollars a year. Yes, I mean that's but crippling, is it? It is, it is but at the same time, it's not as bad as uh, all of a sudden if you if you if you have him on the team for the uh, for the I believe it's the fifth day of the next league year in twenty twenty four. If he's still there, that's another thirty seven million that gets tacked onto it. Uh, that was because that's his twenty twenty five salary that becomes guaranteed. So it's a it's sort of a, it's a sunk cost thing, right? If if you don't see a path for him to come back to being the the rust of his salad days, then you're going to probably have to swallow hard. Except except that, and then the unfortunate thing is. If you did that and you went with a young quarterback, you'd have the young cost-controlled quarterback, but you'd be burning off a couple of potentially effective years with that con- with, with that uh, contract that you were still paying out on Russell Wilson. But it's a question of do you want if, if you don't see a way back for him, if he struggles this year again, do you want to just keep flushing even more money down, or do you just swallow the pill and move on? It's not. It's the options aren't great for the Broncos if Russell Wilson doesn't work out here this year if it doesn't if it doesn't go well for him this year because yeah you're you'd be excited to potentially get a young quarterback in uh, next year's draft but at the same time you're going to have to eat that you're going to have to eat that money right and that's money that you could spend that, that you could spend elsewhere i mean the the Walm, the, the Walton largesse will only take you but so far because this is a salary cap based league well then what do you do if he comes back and he's mediocre uh man you mean this year mediocre? Or? Yeah, this year mediocre. If he, if he's mediocre, I think you probably have to you have to think about moving on. I really do. Like if he, if he is mediocre, and it, it but it depends how he gets there. Does he start fast and then fade, or is he getting better as the season goes on? The trajectory is going to matter in that equation. If he is taking to the teachings of Sean Payton. And improving and showing the signs that he's headed back in a direction that will allow him to be a really good quarterback and like and have that sort of second prime to which I alluded earlier in this conversation, then I think he continue going down the path. But if if 
there are if there are bumps that be, that that become true problems that call you know cause things to break down, and then another thing that could come into play is uh, if he if injuries return return again and he misses multiple games. I mean, this is a guy who was amazingly durable for the first nine for the first eight seasons of his career. Actually, had nine seasons. Pardon me, twenty twelve through twenty twenty didn't miss a game. And he missed three games in 21. He missed a couple of games last year. I mean, what if we're talking about him missing five games this year? That's something that has to come into your decision-making process, too. Yeah, I noticed. So you did your article on uh, the Madden ratings. It was very detailed on it. And they still, for all the faults they have for him in Madden, they actually have him, don't they have him like a 97 on the injury scale? Yeah, but most players have pretty high ratings on that. That's, you know, that's, that's not unusual to be 97. But he's got two straight years where injuries have been an issue. Yeah, but he hasn't missed, like, ten games. He hasn't missed a whole season. He's missed three games and two games. Right, well. In his in his defense. I mean, that's you're, you're going to get a downgrade there if you're coming off of, like, a season-ending ACL or something like that. If you miss just a handful of games, it's not going to affect your injury rating all that much. So, interesting on that. Um, how? And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about... Um, the, are you watching the quarterbacks Netflix documentary? I've seen parts of it. I, I've other. Pe- I was around people where I was on a little bit of a vacation about a week ago, and other people around me were watching it and binging it, and I just didn't have time at that time. So I, I saw bits and pieces. Like I, I saw the Kirk Cousins scene after they, the loss to the Giants, where uh, he and his wife are driving home and they pull in the garage, and she reminds him, "Oh, by the way, it's trash night." <laughs> right. I, I it's it, it's a that is a great scene because like it's not only that but then he goes and he like he's you know having bath time and reading with his kids and all that sort of the 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 reminder of you know life life going on right for these quarter for these guys it's not just about uh, what they do on the field and what we see it's you know a, a lot of stuff that's uh, very familiar to to the general population yeah you know what's been interesting for me is. A lot of guys are seeing this and freaking out, but it's it's not that much different than other of these types of programs that we've seen before. It's a nice peek behind the curtain. It's still controlled. It's still, you know, there's positive spins on it, and there's still, it's still not 100% all access, right? Um, but it, it gives us a peek, but it's, it's not an unusual peek that we haven't seen. Um, some of it's very similar to Hard Knocks, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Um, some of it's similar to other NFL films things. I I mean, I've, I've seen other NFL films things that I've actually found more revealing. But one of the things is um, some of the things that they go through as far as these quarterbacks, as far as, you know, mentally to try and, you know, keep that mental edge. Like Kirk Cousins, for example, he does see a sports psychologist. Um, he also has some brainwave thing that he's doing on there that, you know, is, is quite interesting. Tom Brady, of course, was... Um, famous for, you know, he has a whole line of thinking, the TB12 method, which he believes can you know, literally just ward off injury 100%, right, if you do things the right way. Well, Russell Wilson had the uh, supposed concussion water a few years ago, right? Remember that? I did not remember the concussion water, no. Like concussion, like uh, water that supposedly helped uh, you recover from uh, injury and concussion faster. Oh, okay. So um, everybody's got something. But he's got, you know, he had his guru that was, you know, the the neutral thinking guy that unfortunately passed away that Ryan Leaf has mm-hmm. talked about. How prevalent is that? Like, like Peyton Manning, uh, did he have any of that, or is it just he was he was his own guru? 
everybody today has gurus and people around them. I mean, that's the, the that's the thing. They've all got personal, you know, personal coaches, personal people. But now, um, well, I'm, I'm talking specifically. I'm not talking about like a coach, right? They all have their coaches, but like the mental guys, the 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 real the muse, the guru, the the the, the philosophical next plane type guys. If it, it helps you, that's the thing. I mean, everyone's wired differently, right? There there are some people who won't respond to that sort of thing. That uh, it, that, that you you try that and kind of, honestly, and I, I'm kind of one of those people that people you know you, you try that sort of thing with me, and I tend to kind of look askance at it. I'm not wired that way, but if you're wired that way to kind of receive uh, such things and get something out of them, then hey, if it helps you do it, I mean, just you know, I think it's it's not a one size fits all deal here for these for these quarterbacks and what they need and what helps them get into the right headspace to do to do the job as effectively as they want to do. I think, and I'll ask you to kind of address this. That one of the interesting things about this show, though, is it shows them studying. And which is no surprise. Like, we all know they study really hard. But, and you, I, I want you to talk about this. And, and they don't talk about this in the show, but here's what I think about. These guys are studying really hard to know the playbooks as well as they can. And, like, in Kansas City, they're letting them come up with some of their own plays, right? Um, but Peyton Manning was at such a different level that he was actually doing it himself. Like, he was creating... That he was he wasn't learning the terminology he was creating the terminology and like he knew the playbook because he was create helping like he didn't create the playbook but like he was creating game plans in his mind and things like that do you remember like what a different like how different it was for Peyton Manning versus these guys that are literally it's just everything they can just to learn what they need to learn on a week to week basis Peyton I would say had a mind unlike any other that I've been around um, and I think. Sometimes when I would observe uh, just some of the locker room interactions when we were in there and you kind of got that slice of life and you kind of and you, you'd see on the field and you kind of over here and, and glean some things. Um, the thing with Peyton is that he was he was on such another plane in terms of how his how his brain was and kind of the details that he could absorb without thinking about it. I mean, it's it, to some degree. He had kind of the the Will Hunting brain, right? Do you remember yeah. uh, in Good Will Hunting where he's like, you know, he, he when it you know, when it comes to the stuff like the the, the math and the, the mathematics and everything, like he says, hey, I I, I can just play, like right. you know, I, I can't I can't sit here and uh, hit the ball out of Fenway or you know write you a song, but I can do this. Peyton, for whatever reason, his mind was attuned to absorbing all sorts of information and just kind of processing it so fast. And I think if, if anything happens sometimes, it would be um, – there could be a level of frustration uh, when somebody either wasn't on that level or, or there was a perception that the guy wasn't kind of doing what it took to get on that level. I mean, you remember – we all remember, for example, um, in the playoff game many years ago, Peyton yelling an epithet at Donald Brown, right, when – he missed something, and we know we saw Peyton getting upset with with Cody Latimer uh, during games back in the mid 2010s um, when they when they weren't on the same page. But I do also know this: like Peyton understood this enough to where he would encourage his teammates. If you've got a question, ask me. We'll talk about it. Um, I remember, like the, the back when C.J. Anderson was playing for the Broncos, 
sometimes in the locker room, just in the time that we were there in the media, you'd see CJ kind of asking Peyton about this, that, and the other because you know, if you were willing to ask Peyton, you know, he would he would sit there and spend the time to help you get it right because he knew it, it helped the team get it right. But he also understood that, okay, everybody's got to kind of absorb things differently. It came, it came naturally to Peyton. It doesn't come as naturally to other guys. Peyton was just – was and is – Someone who has a very special and high-level mind, it, and that—that's and I always believed, watching him and studying him, I always and I still that that was his superpower, and it certainly it's, it's why it's a big part of why the Broncos won the Super Bowl when his body was betraying him. The mind was still on a high level. Those two touchdowns in the AFC Championship game, he identifies coverage quickly, makes it makes a change, touchdown. Owen Daniels, both of them. That's that 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 was what he could do better than anybody I've ever seen. Yeah. All right, camp's coming up. Camp comeback, as we're calling it, doing T-shirt drops and things like that. What are you most looking forward to? Uh, what, what? By the way, what year of camp is this for you, and what are you looking most forward to? Broncos camp or just all camps, like in, on the NFL beat? Like, yeah, both. Okay, this is my um, 20th Broncos camp. It's my 22nd NFL training camp that I've covered on everyday basis. Wow, outstanding. Yeah, it's been, it's, it's been a minute. Yes. It's been a while, yeah. Um, um, what are you looking what, forward to? Ooh, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm looking forward to seeing how Sean Payton runs training camp. Every coach has their own different spin on it, but we've already seen in OTAs and minicamp just how unique Sean Payton's spin on it is compared to, especially some of, some of the recent coaches, but even compared to coaches who I, you'd say are on his level, kind of like uh, Mike Shanahan, who whose camp we saw many times here in Denver. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. I'm really fascinated to see some of the competitions on the roster because I believe there is the potential for more dynamic movement up and down the depth chart for some young players than there has been. And and, and I think... Part of it is that we all kind of look at the roster and we think we know, okay, well, this guy's coming back at this position. You know, he's he's in good shape. But you have a new coaching staff coming in. And, and Sean Payton is somebody who is not afraid to say, oh, well, I drafted – yeah, we drafted this guy in the third round, but this undrafted player is just better or this seventh rounder is just better and that guy's going to get the role. He did that with Marcus Colston back in 06 in New Orleans Saints camp. So – I would say there's going to be more competition than people expect. It's going to be more dynamic, and I would not be surprised if we get to the the roster deadline and there are some moves, maybe a trade or two, that stun people because they'd be names that people know around here and are familiar with. But Peyton and the coaches have an, an idea that somebody coming up who's younger is a better fit. So that's that, that's the thing to kind of pay attention to and see uh, how, the, how it develops over the next six, seven weeks. All right, you're the best. We appreciate it. We'll be looking out for your work on denversports.com. All righty, good talking to you, Dan. Have a good one. All right, that's Andrew Mason. If you want to react to anything he said, it's your chance. Coming up next. Jury Executioner. Okay, that got really dark fast. Now back to his honor, Judge Dan Jacobs on Denver Sports Station, 1043, The Fan. 
right. Good stuff out of Andrew Mason. Get some of your texts here. Somebody says, we're talking about Peyton Manning. Texter says, like the movie Beautiful Mind. That's what Peyton PFM had. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting with Peyton. And by the way, Peyton Manning worked incredibly hard, too. It wasn't It wasn't just so. So Andrew is making kind of the Will Hunting um, comparison, right? But like in the movie... Goodwill Hunting movie, like it was effortless, right? Like, like uh, the character Matt Damon's character could literally do math equations, like, like no problem, right? It was just just easy. Like, like the best professors in the world could stay up all night or for days, and he could do do the same equation in like five or ten, fifteen minutes. Like it was just super easy. Like it took no effort from him. Peyton Manning works really, really hard. Like, that's just what he did all the time. This is a conversation I find fascinating all the time. And and that is one of the interesting things that's coming out of this quarterback show, right? Like, it does show, like, Kirk Cousins, like, he he reads the plays into his phone and then he listens back to them, like, into his iPhone and listens back to them in the car just so he can drub them into his brain. And he's working all the time to be the best quarterback he can but he does take a day of rest. Like we were talking about earlier in the show, my my wife is making me, almost said my mom, my wife is making me take a day off per week out of the seven. Like you got to take a day off. You got to recharge. And he does that on the Tuesdays, the mandatory day off from the league. Like some quarterbacks just don't do that during the season. Like I doubt Peyton Manning took much of a day off even on his mandatory day off. Like some quarterbacks... Some players are like, hey, I'm not here for a day off in the season. The season's short. Season's what? Five months. Four or five months. I'm here to work, and then I have an off season. But Kirk Cousins, he's got a family, and he says, I'm going to take that one day of rest. And people are criticizing him after watching that show. Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning didn't want to take a snap off. Like, he never wanted to come out of the game. He never wanted to do, take anything out of, uh, and a lot of the greats are like that, right? Like Kobe and Michael, and and, and that, that is part of the problem. Like, they can't, why they can't become coaches, right? Like, they struggle to become coaches. You think, well, they're great players. They know this stuff. But because when they then have to take over a team, and try and get other players to perform, they can't understand, it doesn't compute in their brain, why everybody else doesn't work as hard as they did. I was talking to, you know, DMAC about this when I was filling on the drive, filling in on the drive a couple weeks ago. Like, would you trade? Now we had the fun conversation. Would you, if you could trade, if you could trade your life with Richie, rooftop Richie Carney, or you could trade it with Mark Schlereth, who would you, who would you, you know, rather trade with? But seriously, if you could trade, and become, I don't know, whoever your hero was. If you, you like Michael Jordan or, like, like I, I started thinking about this a lot watching these wrestling documentaries, right? But I was also thinking about it with The Last Dance during COVID, right? We're looking at The Last Dance. Like, the wake, the trail and wake of just cursed and dead relationships. Like, you see it all the time in, in, with wrestlers, and but you see it also a lot with coaches or professional athletes, like, especially with the ones to be the best, right? Like, even look right now. 
with Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. Like, Michael Jordan burns, like, every single bridge. Like, Charles Barkley was his best friend. And they don't even talk, like, right now. Right? Like, the price you pay to be the best ever, even if you have the talent, is it worth it? Would you trade? And I came to the conclusion that, no, I don't think I would. Like, there are, you know, there's certain areas in life um, that I've been blessed in and I have some talents in that, that if I, if I spent, if I completely neglected my family and I became hyper-focused on this area or that area, could I achieve something that maybe nobody else could achieve? The answer is yes, I could. Like, I'm just being honest. I could. Do I want to? No, I don't. My priorities, priorities are different now. And so would you trade? It's like I the tiger, right? Would you trade? everything for that prize. And so it's a, it's a fascinating thing that I've been, you know, putting some thought into and like like right now Kirk Cousins is totally committed to being the best quarterback he can, but he is also trying to have that balance. We're saying I'm still you know, there like there was there was like for example there was a coach that famously said, "Do you want to be a father or do you want to work in the National Football League?" to a run of the mill employee because he wasn't there at I don't know 7:30, you know, di- left after putting in a 12-hour day in the off-season, and he wasn't sitting in the office at 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night for no reason in the off-season. And he just had a kid, right? And this coach had said, well, and they asked, he says, where, where is this guy? Well, he just had that, you know, he just had, a, he just had a baby, and he'd put in 12 hours, and he went home. Oh, well, does he want to be a dad, or does he want to work in the NFL? Like, there are people that view it, in that way, in that mindset. Like, we get to do something nobody else gets to do, but you have to sacrifice everything. You have to be totally committed. I've talked about that. Like, Mike Shanahan is that way. And and I don't want to say I admire Mike Shanahan for that, but I at least understand the why, why he was so tyrannical and so so driven and so maniacal. It's because he honestly thought, he thought that was the best way to do it, and then he thought they could do something. They could do it at the high, he, the highest level that nobody else had done it in the NFL before. Now, how important is that? Well, to him, it was everything, right? And eventually, it cost it cost him everything as far as his career because eventually the league had enough of him, and they said thanks, but no thanks, Mike Shanahan. And but Bill Belichick does it the exact same way. And you hear people off offline. They're like, if, if you just spend some time with Bill Belichick. He's a funny, personable, charming guy. But if, you, if you're in the workplace with him, he's miserable. He's a complete jerk. But he's the best coach ever. He's got the rings to back it up. All right, we'll get to some more texts. And then, yes, I wanted to bring back a little bit of um, some of this conversation that we referenced with Andrew Mason um, that James Mallett's talking about the Russell Wilson contract is going to end up being a steal We'll get to that coming up next.